I think we've all had the experience, and maybe it even happened recently as this week, where you and someone else see the same situation radically differently. Uh, this is often the, the source of a lot of our arguments, where, where it's the same situation, and it's impossible for you to understand how somebody could see this differently than you. Like, let's maybe take what happened in Prescott this week as a prime example. How many of you thought this storm was a bunch of hype? Raise your hand. You know, you were like, this is a bunch of baloney. You guys are all getting scared. How many of you were legit freaking out and you're like taking it really seriously? Raise your hand. Okay. You're the ones who bought up fries of milk and bread on Tuesday and Wednesday. Um, but it's really funny. It's, it's the same thing, the same information, and we respond so differently. And one of the places that often happens where we see things differently and disagree on how to respond is in our families. There's a family that lives in Alberta, Canada. I'm going to get their names right. Their names are Thunis and Cecilia Wessels. And it was an average Saturday morning in the Wessels' house, and Thunis was out mowing the lawn. Well, their nine-year-old daughter goes outside, and she sees something. So she runs inside to tell her mom, Cecilia, and mom comes out, starts yelling at her husband. He doesn't listen. And the reason that she's yelling at him is he's mowing his lawn, while a tornado was coming in. And he yells and he goes, it's okay, it's going the other direction, I'm fine. So she goes inside, she grabs her phone, she takes this picture, and she sends it to her parents. Now, now I've counseled enough couples, I'm just like, I'm wondering, what does the caption say? Like, you let me marry this idiot, you know, or you were totally right, or look at your son-in-law, whatever. So, so she posts the photo on social media, and of course it goes viral, because, I mean, it's an amazing photo. Um, it misses their house. And so they interview Thunis, and they said, hey, what were you thinking? Being out there, mowing your lawn. And he said, well, I'm keeping an eye on it. <laughs> I'm keeping an eye on it. I, I got, you know, over there, I see, I see a tornado. I'm just going to keep mowing my lawn. And some of you are turning to the person you came to church with today and go, that's totally you. That's totally you. Well, that reality, that way of thinking is part of the reason that we did this series called Kill the Spider. Because there are some of us that when it comes to the things in our lives that are holding us back, we're kind of like Thunis. I see that over there, but I'm just going to let it sit. I'm going to keep an eye on it. When we said in this series that there are, there, are, there are spiders in our lives, there are lies that we've agreed with, there are places where we've struggled for years and years and years, and just ignoring it is not going to make it go away. And we know that some of us are tempted when it comes to these things in our lives to, to gently and kind of nonchalantly deal with them. A couple weeks ago, after uh, week two in this series, somebody sent me this video, which I thought was just hilarious. This, this tennis star, Maguruza, is trying to do this little bug on the court, and this woman comes in and... <laughs> See, there's some of us that when it comes to the spiders in our lives, we're just gently trying to deal with the spider. We're just going to move it. We're just going to move it. When we need to come in and go, boom! <laughs> and kill it. The series is not called Gently Remove the Spider and Move Him Along His Merry Way. No, the series is called Kill the Spider. I could watch this video all day long. <laughs> but, but the reason why we titled it that is there are some of you that have spent years and decades of your life 
missing out on what God intends. There are some of you that have never tasted what Jesus purchased for you on the cross because of these spiders. And for you to deal with those spiders, you can't gently nudge that thing out of your life. You can't continue to go along your merry way, keeping an eye on it, hoping it doesn't turn on you. You have to kill it. And we said in the first week in this series that we settle for cleaning cobwebs when God has the power to kill spiders. Now, if you're here today for the first time or you're watching online for the first time, we're in this series called Kill the Spider, which was inspired by a book named Carlos Whitaker. And in the book, he, he explains the metaphor. His, his father was preaching a series of sermons at a church. And night after night, a woman came forward named Mrs. Ramirez praying that God would clean the cobwebs out of her life. And after a couple nights, Carlos's dad, Fermin, went to her and said, we don't need to keep praying that God cleans the cobwebs out of your life. We need to pray a new prayer that God would kill the spider that is behind those cobwebs. He said to his son, Carlos, Carlos, I've seen you become a professional cobweb cleaner. Some of you have learned over the last few weeks that you are, in fact, a professional cobweb cleaner. You manage these cobwebs. You continue to tell yourself that you got it all under control. But Carlos heard from his dad and he said, son, don't go away to work on your cobwebs. If you're going to go away, find the spider behind them and kill it. And we said in this series that, that a cobweb is a medicator that brings false comfort to the lies we believe. It's that thing that you turn to when you're overwhelmed, that thing that you turn to when you want to numb out the pain, that thing that you continue to try to manage. For some of you, your, your medicator is work, and so you keep telling yourself, one day the hours will slow down. One day I'll stop working less. One day I'll get this under control. I just got to be more disciplined. I just got to have more systems around me. Or, or maybe it's your relationship with social media and your phone. You keep telling yourself that one day you'll stop being on it so much. You'll stop caring what people think so much. Or maybe it comes to your money. I'm, I'm going to put these systems around me. I'm going to give people my credit cards or give them access to my accounts. And you're continuing to manage a cobweb. You're cleaning a cobweb without going after the source behind that cobweb. And that source is the spider. We said in this series that a spider is an agreement we've made with a lie. It's that place where we embraced something that was untrue about God or ourselves. And where we agreed with that lie, a spider was born. And you've done some amazing work. You're incredible. You've had courage and you have faced those places that are painful and difficult. And you've shared some of these lies with us. You found some of these are your spiders you share with us. Some people share with us that they believe that God has abandoned them. Somebody shared, this is my spider. God doesn't hear my prayers. Or I'm not worthy of real love. Or there must be something wrong with me. Or I need to do in order to be loved. Or, or God is blessing other people, but he just doesn't love me as much because he doesn't bless me the way that he blesses them. All of these spiders are things that people who call Cornerstone home home have found. And we've said to you in the midst of those places where you've agreed with lies that you are in the middle of a spiritual war. You're in the middle of a spiritual battle. 
And if you say, I'm not, that in that place you are vulnerable because what you don't know can hurt you. And if you deny that you're in a spiritual battle with a spiritual enemy, he has already won because you're not showing up to fight him at all. And last week, Jeff Newman gave a great message about the importance of putting on our spiritual armor, the armor of God, so that we can take the battle to our spiders. And today, we're going to bring this series to a close, and I'm going to share with you how you kill your spider. So if you have a handout, pull it out of your bulletin. If you're watching online, there's a link below where you're watching. You can grab the handout there. And this is the big idea today, that we break free from our spiders when we surrender to and apply the power of God. We break free from our spiders when we surrender to and apply the power of God. Right up front today, I want to tell you this is not self-help. Because if you had the power to break free from your spider, you would already be free. If you had it in your own strength and discipline to kill your spider, your spider would already be dead. Some of you for years have been trying in your own strength to go after this thing. And what you need is in the infamous words of Tim Taylor from Home Improvement, you need more power. And so you'll break free from the spider, not when you muster up the will and the energy, but when you admit that you don't have the energy and the power and you surrender to and apply the power of God. Now, godly friends, Christian counseling, even reading Carlos's book can help you to identify your cobweb, can help you to locate your spider, can even give you some good tactics to corner your spider, but you will only kill your spider through the power of God. And we experience the power of God through the scriptures and through prayer. And so today what I'm going to do is I'm going to share with you a simple three-step process to kill your spider. Now what I need to tell you though is that some of you have misconstrued the definition of simple. Simple does not mean easy. Some of the simplest things in the world are the most difficult. Simple doesn't mean easy. Simple doesn't also mean quick. Some of the simplest things in the world take the longest amount of time. Simple doesn't mean comfortable. The process I'm going to outline today may mean that you get more uncomfortable than you do comfortable. And simple finally doesn't also mean neat. Simple can be really messy. And one of the things I've learned over the years is that for me and for you, we only change when the pain of staying where we are becomes greater than the pain of changing. And so when you hear this simple process, you need to know that it's difficult, but it's not more difficult than staying where you are. Yeah, it may be hard, but it's not harder than staying where you are. Yeah, it may involve some pain, but it's not more painful than being where you've been. And until you find that frustration of, I'm done with this, I've had enough, you'll never jump over that. The hope that we have for the power to do this comes from these two next scriptures. In Ephesians 6.10, we read Paul saying, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. 
So this is not about your strength. This is not about your might. This is not about you digging deeper and willing yourself more. It's about you discovering a strength in God and you depending on him. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, we read Paul writing what God says. When God says to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. For what? My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Some of you today need to have a breakdown. You need to come to the end of yourself. You need to become disillusioned with your own power and strength so that you can begin to enter into and tap into the power of God to deliver you from your spider. This is why the scriptures remind us again and again that God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. If you think you are too good to have a spider, you're like a spider's nest. But when you come to the place where you recognize, God, I have weaknesses and I am broken and I am a mess and I have agreed with these spiders, then in that weakness you will experience the power of God because his power is made perfect in your weakness. And so throughout the last three weeks, we've been preparing for today. We've been in a process. Over the last three weeks, this is what we've done. We have identified our cobwebs. Week one, the medicators that bring us false comfort. Week two, we've located our spiders, those agreements we made with lies. And then week three, we've cornered our spiders. We've recognized we're in a spiritual battle and we've put on armor. We've done all that. And so if today is your first Sunday, I would strongly encourage you to go online and watch the previous three weeks. I'm going to try to keep you up with us. But for you to do the work that's that's needed to make today all that it could be, I'd encourage you to go back and watch those last three messages. So without further ado, here's the three-step process to kill your spider. Remember, it's simple. But it's not easy. It's not quick. It's not comfortable. And it's not neat. Here's the first part. You have to confess the lie. You have to confess the lie. You have to state in writing or out loud, this is the lie that I have believed. And the reason why is rooted in the words of the brother of Jesus, James, chapter 5, verse 16. James says, therefore, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So when, when you recognize this is the spider I have, this is the agreement I made with a lie, you confess, I have believed this, and it is a lie. You state that. You name that. Why? Because that is the place where you need to be healed. And when you confess that that's a lie, the prayer that you pray in that place begins to gain power because God's work begins to happen as you confess and acknowledge that lie. We're promised in scripture that confession is the beginning of all sorts of good things. In 1 John 1, we read, this is the message we've heard from him, Jesus, and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with God while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. John says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. 
If we say we have no sin, remember the pride thing? We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You have to confess it. You have to name it. This is the lie that I have believed. That confession of truth will set you free. Jesus said that in John 8, 32. He said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Here's the fine print though. The truth may make you miserable first. Truth leads to freedom, but it doesn't always lead to comfort. And one of the lies that your enemy will lie to you about when it comes to your lie, see there's lies upon lies, is he will tell you that you can't confess it. Because once you bring that confession and that truth into the light, things will be worse. Remember what John says? He says that God lives in the light, but we are tempted by the darkness. Most of the lies we believe live in the darkness, and we're most vulnerable to the lies when we're in darkness. But when we bring that lie into the light, it loses power. You know this if you've ever dealt with a, a season or spirit of condemnation or shame in your life. That when you're in a season or a place of darkness, that is more powerful. But when you bring it into the light, it loses power. I love what Andy Stanley says. He says, the consequences of concealment are far greater than the consequences of confession. If you're a parent, you know this. If your kid does something wrong and they come and tell you, you treat them very differently than if you find them having done something wrong, hiding it. If you're an employer and one of your team members brings something to you, hey, I messed this up, it's a mess, I screwed it up, I'm so sorry, help me fix it. You treat them very differently than if they've been hiding it for weeks and weeks and weeks, making it worse and lying to you. See, concealment is darkness and confession is light. And when we confess that we have believed a lie, that is the beginning of the healing because we're dragging that lie into the light where we can finally see the truth. That's the first part, confess the lie. Second part, you have to renounce and reject the lie. You have to renounce and reject the lie. These two words mean similar things, but there is a distinction that I want to highlight this morning because both of these steps are important. To renounce something means to formally declare one's abandonment of a possession. So if I own something and I renounce it, I say, I no longer own this. This is no longer mine. And so when you renounce the lie that you've agreed with, what you're doing is you're breaking the agreement. You're saying, I agreed with this and I agree with it no longer. When you reject it, you move from that to dismissing it as inadequate, as no longer true, as no longer helpful, as no longer accurate. So it's not enough to say, I confess this, I've believed this, it's wrong. You go, I am breaking my agreement with it. And I am dismissing it as no longer true, no longer adequate. You say, Scott, why do we do that? Because we are not just fighting an earthly battle. We're fighting a spiritual battle. 
And in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, we read, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. No, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. I would say that's, that's an equivalent for breaking agreements, killing spiders. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. This is why all throughout the Bible, you read about the importance of your thoughts. You read about the importance of meditating on things that are true and praiseworthy and noble and right. This is why Paul in Romans 12 says to be, that we should be transformed by the renewing of our minds. This is why when you meet people who are obsessed with negative things happening, they continue to experience negative things. This is why people who become cynical, and I can speak of this because I'm a recovering cynic, always see what's wrong and broken in the world because they go looking for it. And what Paul is saying is that we need to take every thought captive and to destroy those strongholds and break those agreements, renouncing and rejecting the lies. And this isn't merely a one-time thing. Some of you are learning that the spider that's in your life has been there for a long, long time. It is a lie that you have struggled with for a long, long time. The lies that our enemy tries to tell me, he's been trying to tell me for years. And guess what? I think he's going to keep trying to tell me those lies for years. So killing a spider isn't just a decision. It's a process too. You have to do it and then do it, and then do it, and then do it, and then do it, and then do it. Are you annoyed yet? (laughs) You have to continue to do it again and again and again because he continues to bring the lie to you again and again. Didn't I already fight this? Yep, you got to fight it again if you want to win. If you want to lose, just give in. Spider's born. I recognize this is hard. But you have to decide what you want. You have to decide what's important to you. For me, I've begun to recognize that there are whispers that come my way that are the whisper of my enemy. And if I do not fight that whisper, I will agree with a lie. And when I agree with that lie, that lie is going to begin to spin cobwebs. And those cobwebs have the potential to take me out. And I read the news. I know the story of Bill Hybels, James McDonald, Mark Driscoll, Jimmy Tammy Faye Baker. I'm not better than any of those individuals. And if I listen to the lie and believe the spider and build the cobweb, the same thing will happen to me. And the same thing will happen to you. You are not better than people who have been destroyed by their spiders, who have been bound up by their cobwebs. And so you have to renounce and reject the lie, not just when you kill the spider, but again and again and again, because some of you have a weakness in that place. The Apostle Paul, in that passage where he said, My grace is sufficient for you, he had a thorn. 
We don't know what the thorn was. For the last 2,000 years, people have argued over what the thorn is. If we haven't figured it out by now, we probably never will. But Paul had something that God refused to remove from his life. And it was a weakness. And he continued to deal with it, even as he wrote half of the New Testament. You may always have a weakness and a place where Satan tries to whisper lies to you. And like Paul, you need to renounce and reject those lies on a daily basis. If you believe that God has something great for you to do. A race for you to run and a purpose for your life. So you confess the lie, you renounce and reject the lie. And then third, you replace the lie with the truth. In that place where you've gotten the lie out because you confessed it, you renounced it, and you rejected it, you make sure that vacuum doesn't get taken up by a new lie. You slide the truth in there. And this is why it's so important for you to discover what your spider is, what that lie is, what your weakness is, because it's like medicine. In order to know what medicine you need, you need to know what your sickness is first. To figure out what actually meets the need of your symptom and your problem, you need to figure out what is the actual problem. Last week, Jeff Newman did a great job challenging us to get to know God's word, to spend time with it, to always go everywhere with it. But I was reminded this week, as I heard about persecuted brothers and sisters, followers of Christ around the world, that your Bible can be taken away. And we live in a culture where we have given up on memorizing things because we have Google, Siri, and Alexa. I don't even remember it. Alexa does. I don't even remember it. I'll just Google it. But in the scriptures, we're reminded by the, by the King David, the, the writer of most of the Psalms. He says, God, I have stored up your word in my heart. Why? That I might not sin against you. You've got to memorize it. So that when that lie comes, boom, you know the truth to replace it with. This is why for the last few years I've spent so much time in Romans 8. And I've brought this to you again and again. Because Romans 8 speaks to so many of our spiders. Like Romans 8, 1 begins with this reminder that God doesn't condemn us. Because so many of you live under the weight of a feeling of shame and condemnation. The lie you believe is that you're not worthy. That you've out God's grace. That God can't use you because of where you've been or what you've done. But Romans 8.1 says, There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So you remove the lie that, that God condemns you and you're unworthy. And you replace it with the truth that if you're in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation. Romans 8.2-4 talks about how God's spirit will help me overcome and grow. Some of you feel like you're never going to get through this or get over this. And you recognize it's not your power and your strength, it's his. And so you, you turn to Romans 8. Some of you have been rejected by your families. You don't know who your father is, or you wish you never met him. And you need Romans 8, 14 to 17, which say, God chose you. You. And he adopted you into his family. Romans 8, 31 to 32 talks about how God will not hold anything back, anything good from those who love him. Romans 8 ends with a reminder that nothing can separate us from his love. See, you get to know those truths so that you can replace lies with those truths. This is even specifically true for me. Even as I've been your pastor and stood on this platform and declared God's word to you, I have been tempted by the whisper of lies. And here's the lies that I hear. I'm always good as my last sermon. I'll never measure up. I'm not good enough. I'll never have what it takes. 
Those are the whispers I hear. And if I embrace those lies, they become spiders. Then I develop all sorts of nasty habits and cobwebs to manage them. And those have the potential to take me out. So years ago, what I did is I built a list of things, truths. And there are some Sundays that over in the shadows over there, I read these to myself before I come out here as a reminder of the truth that replaces the lie. I read that I was made in God's image and Jesus gave his life for me. That's Genesis 1 and John 3. Jesus loves me for who I am, not what I do. That's Romans 5, 8. I have nothing to prove and no one to impress. That's Romans 8. My best is good enough for God and it will have to be good enough for everybody else. That's basically the whole book of Romans. <laughs> I have a gift which God has given me in order to serve the world. That's Ephesians 2.10. I am good when people don't like me or what I do because my primary audience today is God. That's Colossians 3.23. I am God's masterpiece, and today I'm going to step into the plans he has for me. That's Ephesians 2.10. And the Holy Spirit lives within me, and I am not alone in the battle. That's John 14. And I read those and recite those, not because I'm trying to recite some positive thinking mantra, but because that's the truth of God's word, and I'm going to fight the lies of my enemy through that. This is why when you read about the armor of God in Ephesians 6, there is only one offensive weapon. The word of God. And you need to take the fight to those lies by replacing those lies with the truth. You need to get to know what the truth is and know what your weaknesses are and identify what those lies are so that when you hear the lie, you go, nope, not true. I know it. And you can recite it. If you know the scriptures, you know that in Matthew 4, this is actually how Jesus battled Satan. Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness. And every time he tempted him, Jesus replied, this is what God's word says. This is the truth. We sang a song last week. This is how we fight our battles. This is how you take the fight. After you confess, after you replace and reject, you replace it with the truth. On the back of your hand, I have some next steps for you as we bring this series to a close. And the first step is this. If you haven't already, identify your cobweb and locate your spider. One of the best conversations I had with somebody during this series who was sharing with me, they said, you know, my wife and I identified the spider in my life because we found the thing that I continue to struggle with and continue to make promises about that it's going to get better. And we figured out the lie behind it. We figured out the lie that's been driving me to be a workaholic for the last three or four years. I don't have a work problem. I have a spider problem. This man had believed that he was unworthy, that he'd failed in another venture. And so every day he was trying to prove his worthiness, prove he had what he took. And it was hurting his marriage and hurting his kids. So Scott, I've been trying to figure out how to work less hours when it's not the hours I work. It's the lies that I believed. Identify your cobweb. Locate your spider. Number two, put on the armor of God. Remember every single day from your toes to your head that you are not fighting in your own strength. You're fighting in God's strength. And you're tapping into his power and his might. Number three, and this one is super important. Ask a friend to partner with you and walk through the three-step process together. 
Scripture reminds us again and again that a cord of three strands can't be broken, that we're designed to live in community. In 1 Peter 5, Peter describes our enemy, Satan, as a roaring lion. If you want to have fun today, go home, open up YouTube, and just type in, Lion takes out wildebeest. And what you will see is that lions are smart. They don't attack herds. They attack straggling, weak, isolated animals. If you stay with the herd, you're safe. But if you peel off, you're vulnerable. And as Jamie said, there are many of us that want to be in community. We're just afraid of the commitment. Maybe you want to be in community and you're afraid of being hurt. The danger of being in community is getting hurt. The danger of not being in community is getting taken out. And you have to decide which one is riskier. And then number four, build a list of verses which replace the lies you once agreed with and then begin memorizing those verses. Build your list. Write them on cards. Put them up on your mirror and in your car. Turn it into a lock screen for your phone. Play it aloud to yourself via your Bible app every morning. Record you saying it and listen to it yourself. Begin memorizing those verses so that when the lie comes, you go, nope, that's a lie. It's not the truth. And you know it. And if you're in a community group, this would be a great activity for your group this week to share what is the spider you discovered and invite your group to help each other build the list of those verses. At the end of Carlos's book, Kill the Spider, he has a great prayer that he prays when he begins to go after finding a spider in his life because I will tell you, that we could have called the series Killed the Spiders because most of us have more than one. And so I'm going to pray this prayer over you today as you go about this work. And so I'd invite you to close your Bible up, put your phone away, bow your head and close your eyes and I want to pray this prayer over you today as we begin to do this work that God has put in front of us to do. Jesus, we come to you today for you to make us whole in the places where we are broken. We invite you in to do the work that only you can do. We come to you again asking that you restore us and renew us this day. We pray that you would make us new. We come to you today to claim your grace and your mercy that you promise us are new every morning. Because we're realizing that we need more than we ever thought we did before. Jesus, we now surrender and open our hands, giving you all that we are, all that we've been, and all that you want to make us to be. We open up our lives and we surrender them fully to you. We give you our hurts and disappointments. We give you our pain and our loss. We give you the relationships that didn't turn out the way we thought they would. 
We give you the frustrated dreams and ambitions. We give you the plans that didn't go the way we expected. We give you it all. We thank you for meeting us here today, Jesus. We thank you for not rejecting us. We thank you for embracing us. We invite you to come in and show us the places where we were broken and our hearts shattered. We invite you to come in and show us the places where we were wounded, where we were vulnerable to lies and spiders. We invite you to show us the places where we agreed with lies. And we pray that you would, with clarity and light, show us the places where we're bound up and not free. We pray that you would reveal to us, Jesus, memories, words, and experiences that we need to know to be able to step into your freedom in those places. And we pray that you would come to us and show us the place where our spider was born so that in your power and in your might, we might kill it and enter into the freedom and abundance you purchased for us on the cross. In the name of Jesus, we pray that you would give us the power to kill our spiders and send these lies back to the pit of hell where they came from. And it's in your name we pray today, Jesus. Amen. I believe that God is at work in this place in a really special way today. So before you leave today, I want you to listen to the prompting God's put in your heart. I don't want you to explain it away or deny it or push it or avoid it. I want you to embrace it. And so if God's asking you or inviting you to do something today, I want you to respond to it. Maybe it's coming down here and praying a prayer of surrender. You go, what if I got in my seat? Somebody judges me. Maybe instead of being judged, maybe you'll be an inspiration. Because maybe they're looking to do the exact same thing, and if you do it, they will too. Well, some people up here who can pray with you. Maybe you've never given your life to Jesus, and you've been trying to be religious, which is doing the right things in your own power and strength, which has nothing to do with what Jesus came to do. And maybe you need to surrender your life to Jesus for the very first time. Maybe you need to get out of your seat and come. Maybe you need to bring somebody with you to pray together. We're going to sing a song that declares the truth of who God is and what he wants to do in our lives. And we're going to encourage you today to not resist the prompting God's put in your heart, but to follow it. To get uncomfortable because you want to be free. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com. Dot com.